0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1,107 of the Juicebox podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the third installment of the Grand Round series. In the first episode, which was episode 1,097, we did hospitals, urgent care, and initial contact. In the second episode, episode 1,102... Grand Rounds Diagnosing Diabetes, and today we're going to do Insulin and Safety. My Grand Rounds series has two objectives, one, to let doctors know what you need and deserve, and two, to let you know what to ask for. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. If you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes, check out the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. But everybody is welcome. Type 1, type 2, gestational, loved ones, it doesn't matter to me. If you're impacted by diabetes and you're looking for support, comfort, or community, check out Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show. And get those automatic downloads set up so you never miss an episode. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Cozy Earth. CozyEarth.com. Use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% off of the clothing, towels, sheets, off of everything they have at CozyEarth.com. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by AG1. DrinkAG1.com slash Juice Head there now to learn more about AG1. It's vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, non-GMO, no sugar added, no artificial sweeteners. And when you make your first order with my link, you're going to get AG1 and a welcome kit that includes a shaker, scoop, and canister. You're also going to get 5 free travel packs and a year's supply of vitamin D with that first order at drinkag1.com/juicebox. Jennifer, we are back for the Grand Round series. Yay! Yes, today we're going to talk about insulin and safety. Kind of these two things are going to kind of go hand in hand in this conversation. They do. Yeah, so 100%. F- yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So far we've talked about hospitals and diagnosis. Today, Insulin and Safety, and we're just going to start with what people sent us and then let the conversation unfold. Fantastic. The first bit of information that came back from a listener just said, we were terrified of stacking insulin. I think this goes to show that immediately on day one, you get told, count your carbs, put in your insulin, you know, at the next meal, let's keep it maybe three hours from now. Do it again, right? right? And then inevitably what happens is you either didn't bolus well for the meal, miscounted your carbs, maybe that ratio wasn't right, you get a high blood sugar, and that first thought comes into your head, do I want to put more insulin in here? Right. But I I can't because the doctor told me. Not to. Not to, because it would be stacking. Yeah. So what that really points out to me, like if this was a management conversation, we would talk about, you know, when to bolus again or different impacts of foods. Mm -hmm. But in the context of this series, what it points out is you've sent people home with a misunderstanding of how insulin works on day one. Correct. Yeah.
1: In fact, I've, you know, nobody reads the little insert in the insulin box, like out goes the box or out goes that little insert because it falls out all the time. And nobody looks at what the profile of, and we're talking Right now, rapid acting insulin, right? Mm -hmm. The stuff that goes in, out within a couple of hours and it's got a finish to its action time. And I think it's a piece that's missing in initial education is the profile of your rapid acting insulin looks like this. I mean, if you're already teaching somebody how to inject a medication that will impact their blood sugar significantly Mm -hmm. if they don't get it, couldn't you also talk about that action profile? Because it would take away a fear factor. Yeah. It would give them something to visually be able to consider. And so that you can explain stacking or the concept of stacking a little further, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in no way would be advocate for, well, bolus. And if your finger stick or your CGM looks like it's doing this within 30 minutes, probably not a (laughs) great idea to add more insulin, right? Right, right. But there is, there is that window of explanation that I think should be done up front. Yeah. Because you're sending somebody home with something that this is a hundred percent brand new to them.
0: Mm-hmm. And here, this next statement, you know, if you're a physician and you're listening, this person leads by saying, I wish my doctor would have told me to not be absolutely afraid to eat. This is a person who says uh-huh. that I had already lost a ton of weight because of my diagnosis. So they're in DK, they're losing weight, right? They're wasting away. They get lucky and right. somebody tells them they have type one. So they prior to diagnosis, they've already lost weight. Now she says, I couldn't get enough calories or carbs because I was afraid to eat. Huh. I was afraid that my blood sugar would rocket and cause blindness, the need for an amputation, a heart attack, or my demise. Wow. So that's what they went home with. So they got afraid to eat. So they saw one blood sugar jump up after what they were told. They don't know how to use insulin. And so you see this a lot. This is what drives people to like like uber low carb diets at some point too, a lot of the times.
1: And I think there's something to be said about, you know, we're talking from the perspective of newly diagnosed, Mm -hmm. right? From a, a clinician standpoint of explanation to that person. We're not talking about somebody who has had diabetes and been using insulin for an extended period of time. There's a difference in explanation. And so I think initially there is going to be a little bit of caution to dosing strategy. In fact, that's something that it's kind of like a marathon. You learn and you learn and you experiment and you learn along the way. But again, along with that should be a caretaker or caregiver that actually is also getting good information and feedback from a clinician. Mm -hmm. And so from a starting point, decreasing that fear piece, when you're talking about insulin, having them understand some of the very basic concepts so that they don't fear eating or they don't fear taking insulin at all. And they don't also fear correcting a high blood sugar, right? You know, if your blood sugar is sitting elevated and they've not given you any any information as to how and what to do about that other Mm -hmm. than just a set dose, that's your job to give that to them to begin with.
0: So this never-ending cycle that happens, um, and I obviously I record other stuff while, you know, I've already recorded another episode today. So I have a lot of different conversations happening in my head right now. And I'm also making a series that I think I'm gonna call Whistleblower, which ah. Jenny doesn't know about, but it's clinicians, like doctors, nurses, pharmacists, people in healthcare who are gonna come on and speak anonymously. I'm actually even gonna change their voice so that they can talk about. Jenny's like, yeah, let's do it. And so, um, <laughs> so I had a conversation this morning with a pharmacist who works in an urban hospital, like an 800 bed oh. hospital, pretty big hospital, right? Yeah. And, you know, through that conversation, I almost got to the point where I said to myself, okay, well, doctors see a lot of mismanaged people with diabetes. Yes. This becomes their expectation for what it is. And so that when someone comes into the hospital for an emergent reason and has diabetes, they slot them almost automatically into that space, right? Oh, you have diabetes, you must be unwell, you must not understand, your blood sugar is probably high all the time, like all that. Yes. But you just said something now that brought this whole thought Full circle to me. Okay. Which is, and it goes along with the the statement that this other person wrote. So let me walk through it a little bit. She says, I wish no one would have said anything about a three hour rule or stacking or anything like that. I wish they would have just what Jenny just said, taught me how to use insulin. Right. And the note I made under that was that scaring somebody from stacking, which I understand why you would want to do that. I would understand why you wouldn't want them to use, you know, uncovered insulin. Sure. But it leads to their mismanagement. And it just hit me as this all comes together. I get diagnosed and a doctor out of an abundance of concern scares me into not using my insulin correctly. And 20 years later, I end up in a hospital with high blood sugars, high A1C. I don't know how to manage my stuff. And the doctor says, oh, that's how people with diabetes are. But no, not if on day one, you would have helped them understand insulin. Maybe they never become that person. And maybe that's how the system fixes itself. Right. Like, right from, from step one, not from, you know what I mean? Like what?
1: I hmm. do. Yeah. I also think it's really important to, if you are a clinician, I think it's important to see the person and where they are and expect that this might be your first interaction and if they're in with a history of diabetes, as you're alluding to somebody coming in mismanaged for many years or not given proper information, this is your opportunity to start educating them. Mm-hmm. Every interaction with somebody who has diabetes, whether newly diagnosed or needing of that information is your first point of ability to say, hey, how can I help you understand this better?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that based on this other conversation I just had today, the expectation is going to be that that's not going to happen and that the doctor is going to have a reason in their head why it's not OK, why it's not their job or they don't have time. And they probably they're probably right. But that's where I think sure we need to have a thing that you hand to somebody and you go, hey, you know what? It seems to me you might not know how to use your insulin. And that's the core of this whole thing. Just two sentences. Go listen to this. Go read this. Go see your doctor and tell them I said X, Y, Z, right? Exactly. I think we can get you on a better path and keep you from being in this situation in the future. But that's, I think the problem is, is that we all are just waiting for the system to fix itself. And it's not that easy. It's not just a doctor not wanting to do a good job. I think they all want to do a good job.
1: Correct. Right? Or they wouldn't have gone, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're going into healthcare, I think 99% of healthcare employees are, they're in it to help people. Right, right. Yeah.
0: I do think that based on some things that have been said to me recently, that maybe a certain personality drifts towards emergency medicine. Yeah. And that maybe a, a certain personality drifts towards specialty and that you might be getting a little more comfort and compassionate especially than you are, you know, in the ER.
1: Absolutely. There is a certain personality that works the best in the emergency room. It's somebody who can compartmentalize Mm -hmm. a situation and then move on. And there's another new situation, completely different. And they have to attack it. And they have to look at many different pieces that brought that situation in. And then they have to move on yet again. Right, right. So,
0: so it might be unfair to say, I hope an ER nurse sees that my A1C is nine and fixes it for me. That's not gonna happen, right? Like no. Yeah. Top down, they're they're trying to stop the thing that's trying to kill you most emergently. You know, and they also don't tell you to take vitamin D if you don't take it. Like they're not they're not no. there for your generalized no. health. Yeah. <laughs> no. But when you get into a into a hospital setting, the expectation is, oh, this person must know a lot about this. But in the end, I don't think that's mostly ever true. You know, and if right. you don't know anything about your diabetes and they don't know anything about it, then nobody's going to do anything about it.
1: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And acute care, too, you know, in in a hospital setting, not necessarily emergent, mm-hmm. but in hospital is also it can be a, a tip of starting some information to bring to somebody, but That person, you know, if you are the prescribing doctor or you're the doctor who's following the case or whatnot, it's not an educational environment. I worked in patient education for long enough to learn, one, that that's not where I wanted to be, Mm -hmm. and two, that you can only really give a little bit. And those little tidbits should be enough to send somebody out safely with some new information. But you have to be the one to set up the follow up. Yeah. You have to be the one to be able to provide them with the next step. I gave you this. I taught you the basics of safely using insulin. Mm-hmm. Your next step is this person has been set up for an outpatient.
0: Yeah. This episode of the Juice Box podcast is sponsored by Cozy Earth. And right now, I'm looking at cozyearth.com to see what's going on. I got, oh, look at this, bamboo pajama set for ladies. The jogger pants for ladies. Looks like plush lounge socks. That's one of Oprah's favorite things. There's the bath collection. Uh, We love the waffle towels, but there's also premium plush bath towels. Everything that you see here can be had for 40% off with the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. Even the sheets. Now, we use the bamboo sheets, you may choose different linens. I don't know what you're going to uh, love when you get to cozyearth.com, but we sleep on bamboo sheets from Cozy Earth. They are incredibly comfortable. And I bought them myself with my own money using my own offer code, JuiceBox, at checkout. 40% off is what I saved. You can as well at cozyearth.com. I partnered with AG1 because I needed a daily foundational nutritional supplement that supported my whole body health. I continue to drink AG1 every day because it works for me. AG1 is my foundational nutritional supplement. It gives me comprehensive nutrition and it supports my whole body health. Drink AG1.com/juicebox. When you use my link to place your first order, here's what you're going to get: a free welcome kit that includes a shaker, scoop, and canister five free travel packs, a free year supply of vitamin D, and of course, your AG1. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com juicebox box. That's drinkag1.com juicebox box. Check it out. Right. I'm not a Pollyanna person. I don't think that everybody who's doing poorly is doing poorly because someone just didn't tell them what to do. I know there are plenty of people who- Correct. For a myriad of reasons, don't take good care of themselves in a lot of different ways. What they eat, how they exercise, what they take in their body other than food. Like, I understand all that. But when you initially set, like, let's just say, you know, you see, uh, I don't know, 500 new patients a year with diabetes, which is probably an astonishingly low number, I would imagine. Yeah. And you don't give any of them- a good direction, well, then they're left on their own to maybe find it or maybe not. But if you give them good direction and a third of them take it, that's a win. You know, like that's better than not anybody. Correct. You know, this, this person says, look, if you would have just told me that fat, protein and adrenaline, for example, would have changed my insulin needs, it would have saved about three years of me banging my head against the wall. <laughs> like, and, and that's a long part of your life. To every day, every meal be going like, I don't understand what's happening here, you know? And and then you get that fear. Explaining why you are suggesting these changes would be great, this person says. Also, listen when I tell you that they don't work and why I think they won't work. You know, so it's not enough to just say something blanket to them because your blanket idea may not be the answer. I'm just gonna go out and say that I've been doing this a very, very long time speaking to people about diabetes and seeing what leads them to success. Right. And the answer, I think the only answer is information that they can access at their leisure. I think that's very important because you can't force somebody to care about it just because it's day one or because it's been a year or because your A1C hit a certain number. They have to be able to intersect this information when it's comfortable for them, when they're ready to take it in. And I think that's what gives them the best chance at, at success and moving forward.
1: Right. I think I, what you're talking about is kind of stepping stones, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You give them a baseline, again, from a safety standpoint, this is safe. This will lead you to blood sugars that are more optimized, but then we're gonna move on from here. And you have to look at it again, like a long duration of, Little pieces of information that collectively at some point, they'll start to fit together like a puzzle. They'll start to make a lot more sense. And it's it's also from the person with diabetes standpoint, it's a livid experience. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody tells them their diabetes educator or their endocrinology doctor or whatever says, why don't we start here and do this? And then you come back as the person with diabetes at the next visit. And the doctor should say, well, hey, we talked about this last time. Did you try this, you know, and did it work? And I think that that's the piece that often kind of gets missed. It gets missed in the jumble of there's lab work to look at and what they think they need to check off in terms of discussion. But what it needs to be is almost like a review. It's like, go back to what was talked about. Did it work? And that's, The person with diabetes then needs to bring in, well, you told me to do this. I tried it for a couple of days and it didn't really seem to work. Right. Okay, then let's take another look and let's see what else we can make a change to.
0: Yeah. And reasons why it most likely doesn't work when it doesn't work, it's just settings.
1: It's. Right.
0: You know, if you don't have their basal right, if you don't have their insulin to carb ratio right, their correction factor right, like it doesn't, even if you tell them the correct thing to do, doing the correct thing with the wrong amount of insulin is not getting you anywhere. Right. And it points to this feedback here. This person says that if the doctor would have just admitted to me that they were just starting me off, that this wasn't the end all be all conversation, that would have been great. But at some point, it felt to them like, ego. Oh, almost like the doctor didn't want to admit, like the the thing I told you in the beginning wasn't all of it, or they didn't know one or the other. But I'm telling you, if you're listening, if basal should be a unit and it's 0.8, you're already screwed. Right. It's that easy. You know, if, you know, your insulin to carb ratio is one to eight, but you've got it set at one to 10, you're going to lose. Right. And that stuff, snowballs on top of people right, and leads to these statements and leads to long-term health. And you can't just say, well, that's diabetes. They're going to have to figure it out on their own right? because, Jenny, I don't know. Maybe that is true on some level that you are going to have to figure it out on your own, but you don't need to start me 10 miles deep in a hole and then tell me to f- figure it out on my own. You know what I mean?
1: Right. And on your own It implies that you don't have follow-up or someone to check in with, right? Mm -hmm. What you're kind of saying in a roundabout way too is that at that initial diagnosis time or an initial re-education time, but especially at initial diagnosis, it's the understanding that when you're talking about insulin use and the safety of it, I think a safe piece to tell people is that we're starting here at a new diagnosis this will change. And these are some of the reasons that as your child grows or as you change your lifestyle as an adult or as we see how things are moving and changing, this will get adjusted. Mm -hmm. This one 10, 20 unit of insulin that we're taking now, it's going to change. So don't expect it to be this way for the next 20 years. I think if you're just told that right now, You are less likely to feel irritated when it does change.
0: And you know to look for it. Right. So my daughter was diagnosed at two, I mean, 15 years ago. And we struggled for years. And I'll never, ever forget the time that I realized her correction factor was like 1 to 3. Uh, one unit moved her 350 points or something like that. But that's because she was diagnosed when she was two. Right. Yeah. And so like now she's four. And I'm like, I don't know. Why is there A1C in the eights? Like, I can't figure this out. I'm trying to move her blood sugar with not nearly enough insulin. Right. And she went to a good children's hospital. They never changed that. Yeah. Even they weren't thinking about it. Like, so I, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say like it's it's not, it's, not, it's not hopeless, okay? <laughs> but, um, but I think it is important to remember if you're the person listening who has diabetes that it could go this way. And if yeah. you're a doctor and you're hearing it, I hope what you're hearing is that with tiny little adjustments to what I say to these people and how I say it to them, we could avoid a lot of these issues, like a, a ton right. of them. And Jenny brought up such a good example that she just kind of cruised over, I think. But at the end of your notes, it should say, this is what we talked about. So that the next time you open it up, yes. next time we're together, you start with, okay, the last time we were together, we discussed this. And let's move from that point. Instead of like you said, oh, we're going to check your A1C today. Let me check your <laughs> sites. Don't put it here anymore. Move it over here. Great. Thank- How are you feeling? How's school? How's school? Shut up. Right. <laughs> Tell me how, how to make asking my blood me sugar. How
1: things are.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to I want my blood sugar to be lower and stable. Stop asking me how math is, for God's sakes. <laughs> like, like, I mean, are you assessing my psychological well-being? I tell you what, it would be better if my A1C wasn't nine. What do you think of that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> if I could actually think when I was doing my math yeah, test, it yeah, would be great. I
0: bet you I'd be doing great in math if my head wasn't foggy all the time and I wasn't constantly low and jamming a bunch of food in my mouth I didn't want while my mom's crying on the phone. Like, I bet you all that would make it better.
1: Or being pulled out of class because, I mean, for kids especially, kids are consistently being pulled out of class because their blood sugar is too high for something or it's too low for something and they, they don't have enough, you know, authorized ability to treat it in the classroom. So they have to get pulled out and they go three hallways down to the nurse and they sit there for 20 minutes. Well, that's 20 minutes of math class or 20 yeah. minutes of learning where to put the commas in your sentence.
0: And while you're sitting here listening as a physician thinking, that's not my fault. Mm, yes, it is. I've told this story on the podcast before. My daughter leaving second grade, going into third grade, we thought she was, like, stupid. Like, I'm not even going like, to lie to you. Like, we were like, that kid can't do math, you know? Um, but luckily for her, her second grade teacher did that leap thing with her class. So the whole, she had the same teacher next year. And the woman just had a, a, an epiphany. And she said, oh, my God, Arden struggles with math. Arden goes to the nurse every day while I'm explaining the math section. And that's why. And it it took her a whole year to get back on course with it. By the way, Arden's very good at math now. Yeah. But why was that happening? It was happening because Arden's insulin to carb ratio was wrong. So she had to go to the nurse because we were afraid of how high her blood sugar was going to be. And we were setting up these certain times of day to try to check them. No lie. If Arden's settings were better, she wouldn't have struggled in math. And that is a direct correlation. And you should be aware of that if you're a doctor because and that's you know. that's
1: where as a physician again, you know, I understand time constraints and everything. I really truly do. But as I said before, that's a you have to also have an idea, especially when you're working with kids and teens, their schedules are crazy. Mm. Honestly, and you have to have an idea of what is their life like? If you're going to try to navigate helping them manage with their insulin doses and strategizing adjust this way one day and adjust this day because this is the recess B and it comes right after lunchtime. You have to know that type of thing about your patient.
0: You have to have that conversation with them. Right. And ask them, what are the struggles you're having? Like, where are you having these problems? Not just like, what happened here at two o'clock? By the way, people hate that question because (laughs) it was three months ago at two o'clock. I don't know what happened. I have a low blood sugar. Right. I don't know. And by the way, in case you're all wondering, I know that you have to ask about the lows for insurance reasons or whatever. Like, I get it. Like, I know what's happening. But the people don't understand that. They think this is like your high-level, like, deducing. Like, you're, you're trying to figure things out. Not that you're just trying to get them to say something that looks good on the form. Right. Because I see what's happening when I'm in there. This, this one person says, if you just would have explained pre-bolusing to me. That one concept— oh my gosh, what things would have changed. I, I tell people all the time, if you're not pre-bolusing, you might knock a point off your A1C by pre-bolusing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not even like purposeful direction. It's just something I've noticed. So
1: Right, yeah. absolutely. And I think it, it boils down to, there's an there's an there's also an age-appropriate component to that pre-bolus, right? Especially with a new diagnosis course, where yeah. you're not quite sure where, where the doses are going to go in the next week or two as the body sort of responds to getting insulin and having more normalized blood sugars and insulin, you know, maybe honeymooning comes into the picture. And so all of this as an explanation of this time period, it's going to look a little bit up and down. We're going to have real close conversation. Here's our office number. And many pediatric practices actually do do that they mm-hmm. provide enough hand holding but if you're not doing that that's really important and it's even important for what i think is like the forgotten crowd of people with adults. type 1 diagnosis which is adults yeah. honestly if there's an under education that's
0: no one's following up with adults yeah yeah, yeah. nobody yeah. Fo-
1: like yeah. they're given if Anything, this baseline of this is how to do an injection, take this amount of insulin and make sure you take it with your food, no reference to pre-bolus. And mm-hmm. at their at their insulin needs and the type of food that they're probably eating and the load that they're probably eating, most adults, even at early diagnosis, yeah. need some kind of a pre-bolus. Right. They're not three years old where you're questioning whether they're gonna eat the 10 grams on their plate or not.
0: <laughs> Jennifer, my, my brother is a type two and his last A1C just came back 5-5 five, five, down from 7-8.
1: Awesome.
0: Isn't that crazy? Do you, do you know who led him to the information that got his A1C into the mid-fives? It was me. Yeah. <laughs> a guy with a podcast.
1: I was pointing at you and nobody could see that. <laughs>
0: Not his doctor, who, by the way, had been doctoring him for three years to a mid-7 A1C and telling him, you're doing great. So,
1: yeah. But without also, and I don't know whether he was using a CGM, but a mid 7 could have been with a very considerable variance. Mm. So it may not have, even if Seven was quote-unquote healthy and where they felt like it, it should be fine at, if his variance was excessive, yeah, well, that's not healthy.
0: He, he was sick a lot. He was tired a lot. Like He just couldn't like, get anything done. And finally, listen, th- this has happened to me. It's interesting because the people in my life it's harder for me to tell a person in my life, I think you should do this, than it is for me to tell a stranger on the podcast, which is interesting. We had this situation last night in the um, Facebook group. It's not really a situation. Like, I sort of got irritated about something, and I, I made a post, and somebody was talking crap about me on the internet somewhere, and I oh, just no. kind of, it's okay, don't worry, it happens sometimes.
1: That's well, never kind to of do. I don't care who you are. You're
0: very nice. It comes with, I, I don't feel right saying this, but it comes with popularity. The more popular the podcast is, the more people kind of take shots sure. and stuff like that. So it's fine. So I put this post up that I guess led everybody to think that I was in a bad way. And to help me, what they did was they came in and they told their stories about what the podcast has done for them. Mm -hmm. And if I spent the next two hours on this recording, I could probably record everything that was said. But suffice it to say, the podcast helps people. They Mm -hmm. say that that's me helping them, which, okay, it is. But all I did was told them how insulin works. Right. That's all I did. I know that everybody like it's nice and I I appreciate the credit and all the good wishes. But all I did was teach you how insulin works. If doctors would do the thing I was asking them to do, I'd put myself out of business. (laughs) And and by the way, I'm getting older. So let's go. You know what I mean? Like, like, (laughs) let's get to it now. I can't do this forever. You know, I wish my doctor would have told me about the balancing act of insulin to carbs and how insulin Mm. actually works. Over and over, these are different responses from different people. They're all telling you the same thing. Now that I've had it for a while, now that I found the podcast, now that my A1C is low and stable, and I understand diabetes, I wish you would have told me how insulin works. It's what everyone is saying in here. Just everybody.
1: And there is, you know, as this is insulin and safety, there's a safety component to explaining that from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, Thyroid, for example, right? Mm-hmm. That's a medication that is for everybody I've ever worked with who takes meds, Synthroid, for example, or the other you know options. They're given that information from their doctor or from the pharmacist who they get the medication from about timing it away from food, away from certain supplements, away from other things. And this is a simplified example in comparison to insulin, the insulin but yeah. they, they're told why? Why with insulin <laughs> can cause such extremes in blood sugar?
0: Don't take Synthroid with this vitamin. Don't take it on a full stomach. Don't like here are a couple of things to do. We'd like you to take it right. in the morning. Be consistent every twenty four hours. Like, like actual right. direction about how to take the pill. Now, if you Correct. don't do it that way, then it's your problem. Like, like, like but at least someone. Correct, told but you're also you.
1: <laughs> not going to end up with a blood sugar that's forty two.
0: Yes. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And so they do the thing of. Instead of telling you what to really do, we'll just err on the side of caution, which is a way of making it sound like you're doing them a favor, but you're not doing them a favor. You're turning them into a person that 20 years from now in an ER is going to be treated like a scumbag for not understanding their diabetes. But your initial meeting with them put them 20 years later in that position and maybe not 20 years, maybe much sooner
1: Five, 10, right. Almost a blame for maybe they are coming in with some complications or something in the picture already. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an un- unfortunate cons- thing that happens because your expectation about what you know about somebody just based on now seeing their diagnosis, Yeah, you don't know what's gone into their life up to that point.
0: Yeah, or what their initial meeting with healthcare Put listen was, here. Here's right. a, here's an example that I think is pretty dead on. If an 18-year-old kid's caught with three joints in 1970 and thrown in jail for 20 years and then murders two people in jail 15 years later, you say, Oh, look, well, we were lucky we got him off the street, he was a murderer. I say, Maybe if you would have just taken the weed from him and been like, Hey, get home, you wouldn't have sent them on this path, right? And that's right. what this I swear that it's gonna sound harsh to a doctor. But that's what this is. When you intersect people early with diabetes and don't do the right things for them, and I'm telling you the right things are explaining how insulin works. Like when mm-hmm. you don't do that, every bad thing that happens to them afterwards is likely avoidable. Or you'll never know. Maybe, maybe the guy was gonna murder somebody in 15 years, but you're never gonna know because you didn't give them the right chance in the beginning. Right. And I you think you put him in an
1: environment is. that could have Encourage the behavior for what happened 15 years later. Yes. Versus, like you said, oh, slap on the hand, send them home. Hey, probably don't sell those or give those. or you know, We're not going to throw you in jail
0: for 20 years, which yes. by the way, 20 years later, society generally accepts that that was the wrong thing to do. Right. I mean this. Like, if you live your whole life as a physician doing this and you go retire somewhere and then you're just sitting around enjoying your life and you see that healthcare has jumped forward and proves out that the thing you were doing now wasn't the right way to go, That's
1: wrong.
0: it's going to eat at your gut. So just like listen now. like Because Jenny mentioned thyroid a little while ago. We're talking about diabetes. But all of these disease states that require the user, the patient, to understand it and to help manage themselves, we mm-hmm. always say it, right? I guarantee yeah. every doctor listening has said this. You know more about your diabetes than I do. First of all, why, like it's not that hard to figure out and and secondly, okay, well, if they know more, why aren't you listening to them? And why does it happen a generation again? Like, okay, well, we figured out doctors don't know, but the users know, the patients know. Let's go ask them what they know, and we'll make that the standard of care. That's all I'm saying right, right. now. That's all I'm yeah, saying. No, yeah,
1: I think I think I mean, thyroid was my example, but I can think of another one that I was as a dietitian gave education on was the Coumadin diet. People get more education about using Coumadin, which is a blood thinner, essentially. Uh-huh. I know it. Yep. And a specific, right, vitamin K kind of type of diet. And what do you have to, they get more education about using that medication than they do about using insulin. <laughs> so there you go.
0: So what is really happening is I'm left to look back on this and say to myself, you either don't know what you're talking about or you are willfully not explaining it to people. Those are the only two options. And neither option is okay. So either right. educate yourself about it. I have a I have a series of episodes you could listen to while you were driving and a week and a half from now, you'd go, oh, I understand how insulin works now. It would be that easy. Or just admit you don't know. Right. But stop being punitive to these people and sending them down a path that leads to things you can't even imagine, poor health psychologically and physically, relationship problems, you know, like because they can't, right their blood sugars are bouncing around. They, they can't even communicate with people well. And be, or
1: hold a job yeah, well enough. Right. Or absolutely. Or yeah, chronic there's, pain there's...
0: comes. And then they start doing things where they're like, oh, well, I'll start managing this with this. Next thing you know, they're taking 16 different meds and they're smoking weed and stuff to try to get through their day. And I know that all sounds like that's not our fault, but yes, it is. In this specific scenario, every person you let leave who doesn't understand, this is what your basal's for. This is what your insulin to carb ratio is. This is what your correction factor is. Here's how these foods impact versus these foods. Don't just say glycemic index and glycemic load to them. And if they don't listen, it's their fault. Like,
1: right, because that's like Chinese.
0: Yeah, I don't understand. I, I I've said on this podcast a million times. Somebody ch- said to me one day, "Hey, glycemic index, glycemic load, really important." And my kid had just been diagnosed with diabetes. I was like, "What?" And then I never <laughs> thought about it again. I started making this podcast, and I said to Jenny one day, "I'm like, oh my god, the biggest problem is people don't understand the impacts of their foods." <laughs> and you know, yeah. So did someone try to tell me years before? I don't know. Not really. They pulled me into an office and they said a thing, they checked a box and they kicked me out again. That's what they did. Seriously. That's what they did, Jenny.
1: I'm sorry you got a boot.
0: <laughs> they were able to say, "Hey, we told him. Hey, if that kid drops dead, it's not our fault." Like that, that can't be the way you do this. No. Like it just yeah, you know. It
1: can't. I think I think it also brings up from a a component of this conversation being safety. There's an elephant in the room that honestly needs to be brought up. And it's, if you prescribe insulin, Scott, what else should you prescribe? Oh,
0: glucagon. Yes, because you're right. It is dangerous. And, and, <laughs> and they might pass out and freaking try to die. And it would be cool if they had a thing where they could just jam it in them and stop that from happening. So, correct. and how do you get in that position? You don't tell them how it works and then they start sniffing around it and they kind of figure it out, but they don't have a lot of directions. So they start doing these like crazy, like I'm just going to give myself a bunch of insulin and see what happens ideas. And sometimes that right. doesn't go well. So mm-hmm. it's not just use more insulin or it, it's understand how to thoughtfully use the insulin. How does the insulin work? How do I thoughtfully apply what I know about the insulin to my specific situation, diet, etc.? Yeah. And by the way, poor women- who are already told so many times like, ah, that'll go away after you have a baby. Or yeah, I hear that happens to a lot of you. Like like that, like that, that's your level yeah. of care you get sometimes. How about no one tells you that you might be three different kinds of people with diabetes every 30 days, right? You might be the nice stable one, maybe during your period. You might be the one that has trouble prior to your period, after. Yes. I know it seems like, oh, they'll figure it out. A lot of people never put two and two together.
1: As far as the person with diabetes, you may not put it together because it's never been defined to you as a difference from female hormones impacting a certain way and impacting a certain way, depending on where you are in your life cycle of those hormones, creating a different type of impact compared to male hormones, which absolutely are very different than female hormones. Mm -hmm. And we, I feel like, you know, I work with a lot of women and women's health has become much more important to me to provide the right type of information for the females I work with because they've been left in the dark. They may have been given information about insulin action and what to do and what their basal and their bolus do. They may have been given that, but you ask the majority of women about whether they were told what to watch for once they start having a monthly cycle or early like the preteen not even having a cycle yet but the potential that there's a pattern that's starting to emerge and you feel like a crazy parent yeah. that brings something up and they're like, "Well, I don't know, it's just, you know, we'll just adjust this way." And then the next time they come in it's a different time of the month and the poor kid is like, "Well, let's adjust down this way." Instead Give them the reason that this is happening right? and how to fix it.
0: Yeah. Listen, I sometimes I even get frustrated because people, give they bring you these very specific situations. What's happening right here? And I always answer the same way. You're not using your insulin correctly, right? There are different variables. There are things that are happening to you. Maybe they're hormonal. Maybe they're food related. Maybe they're exercise related, hydration related. There are a couple of like big ones, right, that, mm-hmm. that it could possibly be. And you know, settings, settings, settings. Settings have to be right. You need to know when to use the insulin. And I say all the time, like if I had five seconds to make this podcast, I would tell you that it's using the right amount of insulin at the right time. It's timing and amount dependent Mm -hmm. on variables. Um, Correct. So when someone comes to you and says, "I don't understand," you know, I'm good at this except when I'm swimming. Okay, well then, swimming's the variable, right? And we'll figure out like where do we put the insulin, how much of it, and where. You know, So when Mm -hmm. do we put this so that you can swim without a low blood sugar? It's infinitely doable. Right. It it really is. And yes, your doctor's probably not going to explain that to you the day you're diagnosed or even in the first couple of years of you going into that office. But if you knew, it's timing and amount, it's settings, it's understanding the impacts of food, the impacts of hormones, the impacts of those sorts of things. Uh, Hydration. If you're not well hydrated, your insulin doesn't move around well. It doesn't work the same way. This person Mm -hmm. here says, Hey, it might have been nice to tell me that my insulin sensitivity would act differently if my blood sugar was higher because you gave me settings and directions that drove my Mm -hmm. blood sugar up. And now, not only were those settings not okay when I had a stable lower blood sugar, they're really not okay now. And all that gets boiled down to a doctor by like, Oh, yeah, when your blood sugar is high, you need more insulin. Uh, Okay. Valuable, but not not nearly the whole story. Mm -hmm. That's all. Wait, I got upset during this one. I apologize. <laughs> I no,
1: it's all uh, 100% correct. And I think, you know, the point being that in general, you have to give the right information in the right time frame. Mm-hmm. but starting out somebody with information that is lacking enough definition that it's going to set them up for going down a path of I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. So I'm just going to do the basic that I was told to do because I don't know what else to do and nobody's helping me. Right. And then they also don't know what questions to ask to make it better, even if it's with a you know a healthcare practitioner that's trying to do something for them. Mm-hmm. That person might be so in the dark that they don't even know where to start to ask.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just I'm stunned that with the prevalence of diabetes, such as it is that these simple ideas aren't better understood and communicated like jenny i'm not gonna like i I hope this doesn't sound different than how i mean it this podcast is insanely popular i know it's not a podcast made by like a big company or like a a, you know 20 people it's like i make it i have you on and a couple of people and i have guests on and like i you know I pay an editor to, like, make sure it sounds good. Like, it's not a big operation. Right. The fact that so many people listen to it should be an indication to physicians. We are not doing a good job with this. Like, that's, right. that's, it should, because if people understood it, it wouldn't be needed. It's not a comedy podcast. It ain't fun to f- listen about talk, people talking about diabetes. Right. Like, they're listening, they're trying to save their lives, you know?
1: And, uh, I don't know. No, yeah. you're right. And in a broader sense, I think if there was like a lot of the way that many people might even often come to the podcast is actually just by doing a search Mm -hmm. for more in-depth education about diabetes or type one diabetes or support for diabetes or whatever it might be. And obviously it probably comes up pretty much first on a Google search, along with maybe a couple of other options. It does pretty well. Yeah, right. The baseline here is that without the right information, people are left wanting Almost with a almost with a subconscious idea that they haven't been given everything they need mm-hmm. I think And I so it. then they go searching. Yeah. Wouldn't you rather that they get the right information from you to begin with so that you don't have to, repair all the misinformation. They may have gone down a rabbit hole of information online. Right. Perhaps they didn't find the podcast, but they found somebody else's. This is how I manage my diabetes. And the person like eating lettuce leaves all day or what, <laughs> right? You know, I yeah. mean, if they're coming back to you like that, you're like, oh, oh, oh okay. Clearly, that's, not right. I, we need to, that's not right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: I didn't mean for you to just eat cabbage. Sorry. Right. You haven't led them in a good direction.
1: Right. They're doing a search because you haven't given them the information they need to begin with.
0: Isn't it funny, too, that a doctor will tell you, don't go online to find out stuff. You're like, why do you think I was looking? <laughs> you right. think I was looking because yeah. I completely understood it and I just wanted to see if there was more. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm dying physically and mentally and I'm trying to save myself. And by the way, those are the people who are lucky enough to take that extra step. Correct. Most people just sit down and go, this is my lot in life and they take it.
1: And this must be the way that it is because the doctor, and I i don't mean that rudely, but the doctor told me to do it this way. I do it this way. And as you said, this must be the way that this just works.
0: Yeah, I And guess. they
1: don't go down the road of search. Right.
0: I guess this is what living with diabetes means. I have an right. 8A1C and I feel cloudy all the time. And I guess if I get lucky, maybe I'll just get frozen shoulder and I'll get to keep my toes. Like that's literally what's going through their head. And- None of that's necessary. Timing and amount, I don't know, Jenny, the Pro Tip series is 26 long. It's maybe 20, you know, 20 hours worth of listening. Everybody listens to it and comes back and says, hey, my A1C is in the low sixes now. I just understand now. Jenny and I did a talk. Let's finish with this because I know you have to go. Sure. Jenny and I did a talk in front of some people uh, in Austin, Texas recently. And we were invited to talk and we said, we'll do that, but we're not going to put a slideshow behind us. We're not going to do this the way we normally do it. We did two solid hours of conversation, just you and I, to the audience. Mm-hmm. We went on a lunch break, and we came back and did three hours of Q&A. No mm-hmm. one left, right? Everybody came back after lunch. I noticed, nope. no. Trust me, Jenny, my, my ego made sure, no, I, I checked hard. Okay. okay. like everyone was there, okay? But my, my point is, is that if I said to a doctor, hey, we're going to offer this thing of five hours worth of education about diabetes. They'd go, nobody wants that, but they do. They want it desperately, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we go down there and we just have conversation. We're not talking at them. It's not bullet points. We have this big conversation. Jenny said, you saw someone online who said what after that about pizza?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, the question had been raised about how to navigate pizza with a specific algorithm-driven insulin pumping system and I gave some baseline direction with some things to pay attention to and when to put insulin in again timing mm-hmm. of insulin is the baseline here so when to put it in and what to watch for and from what I remember the comment online was just back hey I did what Jenny said and look at what we got I was I was very excited about that I was like thank good yay yeah
0: and I heard back from a family whose daughter went out into the world afterwards they were going all over the place, eating a bunch of stuff that, you know, generally speaking is not easy to bull us for. Right. And the person said, like, look at this graph and showed showed a nice like graph of stability over the next day. But their indication was not that we even said something so specific, like they didn't go like put, you know, peg A and hole B, just having the conversation led to her making decisions that led to right. better outcomes, just hearing people right. talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking a doctor to do that, but I am asking if you don't think you're providing that to somebody, then you have to lead them somewhere where they can get that. It's very, very important Correct. for diabetes so like right. if you can't figure this out or you don't have time or your system doesn't allow for it or whatever your reasoning is, that's fine, but don't just shoo them away like right. give them somewhere else to go. Mm-hmm. It's really valuable for people so
1: and i you know something valuable I think i I don't think I know that I see when I work with those that I get the opportunity to privately is when there are questions that come up that are, they're questions to me too. I'm more than happy to say, you know what? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'll have to look or I'll have to ask my colleagues. You know, I may have great resources with the other educators that I work with, and we all have wide ranges that we have good information in. We don't, each of us doesn't know everything. Sure. And so, we use e- each other as resources. And as a clinician, you have to be willing to say, I don't know. Yeah. And it's okay, but I'll find the answer for you. I'll help you.
0: I don't remember the, I honestly don't remember the context. But while we were at that talk, I remember putting the microphone to my face and saying, oh, wow, Jenny just said something. I don't remember what it was. I said, I didn't know that. I just learned something here. And like, even that. Like, it was
1: about honeymoon. Something An and early morning basil needs.
0: Right, right. Oh, yeah. I don't remember the the exacts. I do remember that. I don't remember the. But it's not even important. What's important is right. that in front of in front of a few hundred people who kind of see me as a person who knows what I'm talking about, I was happy to go. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. Like so that they can go. Oh, well, he doesn't know it. There's stuff I don't know and feel comfortable right. about that. And and then I turn to you. I say, tell me more about that. Like that's right. what you need to make people comfortable doing things like that because right. they're Absolutely. embarrassed too but that's the other part of it I don't know if we'll get to talk about that in here yeah we will we're gonna do like uh, kind of like mentality humanity stuff but I'll save it for okay. that I'm gonna let you go then awesome thank you so much
1: of course bye
0: this episode of the juice box podcast is sponsored by AG1 drinkag1.com slash juicebox. When you use my link and place your first order, you're going to get a welcome kit, a year's supply of vitamin D, and five free travel packs. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Cozy Earth. CozyEarth.com. Use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% off of the clothing, towels, sheets, off of everything they have at CozyEarth.com. The episode you just heard was professionally edited by Wrong Way Recording. WrongWayRecording.com If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show. And get those automatic downloads set up so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox podcast.